Weekly Signals, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Hi, you're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and on the web at www.kuci.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm this show's engineer and co-host with Mari. And if you don't know our host, Mari, let me tell you a little bit about her. She's a local attorney and privacy consultant and is the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft with the CD and a foreword by Diane Feinstein. She sits as an advisor to the State of California Office of Privacy Protection and she's a sheriff reserve here in our county. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, NBC, and ABC News. So to learn more about this show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Good evening, Mari. Good evening. I'm sorry I messed you up on that one. We have a great guest tonight and, and a scary issue to talk about. Remember we've talked in this show about medical privacy and what is happening, the, the invasion of uh, the privacy snatchers in our medical information. Well, we have a d- very distinguished guest coming all the way from Texas tonight. Her name is Deborah C. Peel. She's a medical doctor, and she's the chair and founder of the Patient Privacy Rights, a national consumer medical privacy watchdog organization. And uh, Dr. Peel is nationally recognized expert on medical privacy. She's been a proponent of retaining the Hippocratic Oath and medical ethics as a foundation for patient-centered healthcare system for over a decade. She's testified before Congress many times as well. Uh, I might have been there the same time she was there on medical privacy, genetic privacy, and pharmacy benefits managers. Um, Dr. Peel has practiced psychiatry and psychoanalysis for 29 years. And you know, I was married to a psychiatrist for uh, 18 years, so I know a little bit about the field of psychiatry. Um, For 11 years, she was the chief of psychiatry at Brackenridge Hospital in Austin, Texas where she ran the section of over 100 psychiatrists. She's a past president of the Texas Society of Psychiatric Physicians and a past president of the National Coalition of Mental Health Professionals and Consumers. You know, all that experience as a practicing physician has really given her great insight. And she has watched the elimination of medical privacy and the resulting harm to patients. And this convinced her of the need for a strong national consumer advocacy organization, which would be dedicated to preserving some medical privacy rights. She's also a mother and a consumer, and she couldn't in good conscience leave the design and control of our national health care system and protection of our privacy rights to let industry rule it. 
And there's, this is a very important time for us be, to be talking about health care rights because there is some legislation, federal legislation that's pending that is going to change all of our lives. We're going to talk about it in a minute. But before I begin, I just want to say that Dr. Peel's website is www.patientprivacyrights.org, where you can see a lot more information. But let's, let's start talking to Deborah now. Deborah, are you there? Hi, Mari. We are so thrilled that you joined us all the way from Texas. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Deborah, tell us a bit about your organ. What um, the big issue is now for your organization is is you're working on this legislation. Could you describe uh, the bill and its goals with regards to patient records? Sure. Um, the bills before Congress are to build a national health information network. That would be a, a system, an interconnected system, that will link up all of our different medical records in all of the places that they are created. And, you know, if you just think about the ease of moving your medical records from one doctor to another or to an emergency room when you need them, it sounds wonderful. Um, but the problem is this system, if it's built the way the bills propose, gives patients no control over who can see and use their information because it builds on the privacy standard known as the HIPAA privacy rule, which was changed in 2002 to eliminate, uh, well, to eliminate everyone's right to control who can see and use their, their medical records. So the problem with this system for us, mainly at patient privacy rights, is that so many different corporations, businesses, and government agencies, in fact, Mari, over 600,000, will be able to use our medical records at will um, for virtually any purpose. The problem with that is that it's going to result in massive discrimination against every man, woman, and child in this country. Uh, and by that I mean particularly job discrimination, but also discrimination about schools, colleges, credit, uh, and at banks, and, and by insurers. So the problem is, is our medical records, uh, if they are open books to private corporations, uh, are, it's going to result in tremendous, tremendous harm and discrimination against everyone. Deborah, could you please explain you know, to our audience uh, what you mean by discrimination? What kinds of things could sure. happen? Sure. Well, what I, I guess what's easiest for me to talk about are, are real-life examples. As a psychiatrist and psychoanalyst uh, for about 30 years, you know, I've been treating people long, long before there were computers, long before there were managed care organizations. And, and back then, when I first started my practice, people would pay me cash on the barrel head because they did not want their bosses to find out that they were seeing a psychiatrist. Right. And so, you know, I learned firsthand from my patients. They had, they had, you know, been fired. They had not received promotions. They had not been hired because there's such stigma against common illnesses like depression and anxiety that um, bosses are human and they react with fear and, and they think that someone's diagnosis predicts whether they can work or not. And, you know, the truth is, is is no one is their diagnosis. No one's ability to work or be productive 
you know, can be predicted by a diagnosis. Uh, the point should really be, you know, are you the best qualified to do this work? What are your qualifications and your experience? That's what should determine if you get a job. Right. But it should never, ever be your medical record. So one of the primary purposes of Patient Privacy Rights Foundation is to is to put pressure on Congress to build a firewall, a firewall between this incredibly sensitive information that exists about each of us and people that can make important decisions about us, decisions about, well, jobs. I mean, really, our livelihoods and credit. Right. So And credit and insurance, yeah. you know. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. And, and I mean, so if, if someone sees that there's something in my medical record that shows that I have a predisposition maybe to some heart disease or something because it was in my family, is that something that could happen too? Absolutely. Um, you know, for example, your audience might know of um, Eddie Curry. Uh, he was with, I think, um, uh, a the Chicago Knicks, I think it was. No, it was the Chicago Bulls, excuse me. And um, he had a heart condition, and they insisted that he get a genetic test to see if he had a predisposition to an inherited cardiomyopathy, and he refused. He refused because his feeling was if he took the test and it was positive, it would create you know, discrimination in jobs for all of his relatives. He was hired, I think, in the end by the Knicks, but... The problem is, uh, is people are going to decide that, you know, you shouldn't get uh, a chance to, you know, work because they fear that you might get something in the future. I mean, or think about um, another uh, uh, well-known uh, athlete, um, Lou Gehrig. You know, there's now a test, a genetic test, to for about people that have a predisposition to amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. Well. Suppose that he'd had that test, you know, would he have ever had a chance to play ball? You know, would a team have ever given him a chance? And so, you know, the point really is, is those kinds of tests, genetic tests and other tests, are, are very useful for us to know as patients, you know, in trying to take care of ourselves better and trying to, you know, monitor to see if there, you know, if there are early signs of disease and and for our doctors to know the doctors that that take care of us and watch us but that kind of information does not belong in the workplace it does not belong in the hands of employers it does not belong in the hands of banks and financial institutions and it does not belong in the hands of insurers so how is it that that these insurers or or maybe even for example like you were talking about a bank you know i might yeah. be denied a mortgage because sure. if they believe that i have some illness that i'm not going to be able to pay for the next 30 years sure. i might be denied an illness so have have what are they doing with regard to that in this legislation are they addressing that issue of this sharing of of that sensitive information no, they're not, Mari, and that's why I'm so anxious to talk with you and your audience about this. The bills that Congress has simply set up um, grants and set up agencies to begin to set standards to build this interconnected health network to share information all across the nation. They don't have any privacy standards. They do not fix the problem that... Uh, occurred in 2002 
when a government agency stripped all of us of our right to decide who can see and use our medical records. And that's what we're so worried about. We have a, we have a petition on our website um, that says simply, I want my mo- medical privacy. I want the right to decide who can see and use my medical information. I don't want employers to have access to my or my family's medical records. And the third point on the petition is, I shouldn't have to choose between privacy and health care. And we're hoping to get um, 100,000 or a million signatures to take to Congress and show them that Americans want the traditional right that they have held. It's not just traditional. It's, it's the ethical and legal rights that they had up until 2002 to control who gets to see their medical records. You know, Deborah, a lot of people thought that when in 1996, when the Health Insurance Portability Accountability and Accountability Act passed, that that was supposed to be a a way to protect our privacy with regard to medical records. And you know, when we go to the doctor, we get this you know disclosure statement, mm-hmm. and we're supposed to sign it. And if we want our you know somebody to be able to get that record, we have to write their names. So I think a lot of people who are listening tonight, driving by, they're thinking, well, you know, we have HIPAA, so why is she all worried? So why isn't it the case? What is it? Do you know people? Yeah, what happened? Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Congress passed the act called HIPAA, the Health Insurance Privacy and Accountability Act, and and that act said that that the federal government would have to set out every American's right to medical privacy and how to exercise that right. It was very clear. So when the government agency that was assigned to write that rule uh, got the instructions from Congress, the original privacy rule actually said, yes, Americans, you have the right to consent to the release of your personal health information. There was a single line in the original privacy rule that was written by the Health and Human Services Agency on our behalf. Now that was prior consent before disclosure. consent before disclosure. When President Bush took office, he implemented that rule. He made that rule the law of the land in 2001. But what happened that no one noticed, the media didn't notice, it was never reported, was that in 2002 that same government agency took that right away, stripped us all of our rights, and it was replaced. The sentence says something like this. uh, The right of consent is replaced by federal regulatory permission for covered entities, and again, there's over 600,000 of them, to use and disclose personal health information for treatment, payment, and health care operations. And they, they said very clearly that consent provisions are removed. Okay, so that, that, one line, that one line changed everything. It changed the privacy rule into a disclosure rule. And yes, everyone gets privacy notices every place they go. But if you look at them closely, they tell you that they are going to use and disclose your information without your consent. If you read them, they're actually not consent forms. They're simply notices of what um, health practitioners and hospitals and clinics and labs and so forth will do with your records. And they will disclose them without your permission. And they say they they say in those notices that they have the right to do so under the under the federal privacy rule. They 
Some of them may also say that you have a right to request restrictions uh, of, you know, of who gets to see your information. Right. But, you know, if you ask, you know, for example, a pharmacy, and I did this uh, for my uh, prescription records and my family's prescription records, I went to two national pharmacy chains and I gave them a form, which is also on our website, that says, look, uh, under the laws of the state of Texas, uh, stronger medical privacy laws in the state of Texas and under medical ethics, I request that you not use or disclose my or my family's prescriptions without my permission. And weeks and months later, I got back letters from these uh, national pharmacy chains saying, uh, gee, Deborah, sorry, um, no can do. We respect your privacy, but um, sorry, we will, you know, we're going to use and disclose your information as we please. So if you try to exercise your right, um, which which the federal law says, you know, you have the right to request restrictions, you're going to find that most of the healthcare uh, businesses will not will not grant the restrictions that you ask. In other words. How can you have a right to control your information if you have to beg somebody to exercise it? Right, and and I, I kind of laugh when I see those because I have to literally give them the names of family members that I wish them to disclose to. Exactly. So it's like they can disclose to whomever they wish, but if I want them to disclose to someone, in particular family members or or dear friends, I have to give them the names. So, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's an extra burden for me, and there's no burden for them. But let's talk exactly. about this issue of covered entities, because sure. some people listening to this will say, well, gee, you know, if, if I'm sick and, and I'm, you know, in another state, I want my doctor to be able to share this. And if I'm, you know, unable to say that, I, I think they should be able to get my medical record so they can treat me. Of so course. that's what they always hear as an example. But, sure. So, so help us understand what what the covered entities are and what the dangers are. Sure. Well, the the covered entities, um, as defined uh, by law, are essentially all of the private businesses that you can imagine that have anything to do with healthcare. So that includes everything from doctors uh, and other health practitioners to hospital chains to pharmacies to self-employed self-insured employers to uh, insurers um, to um, HMOs any any kind of corporation that has something to do with your health care is a covered entity um, and there are over in according to HIPAA there are over 600,000 of them and those all of those entities, all of those different businesses, individuals, businesses, and government agencies, by the way, as well, were given, uh, you know, direct, unfettered access to our medical records. But worse than that, in addition to the cover, the over 600,000 covered entities that can see and use our medical records, they are also allowed to share those medical records with their business associates, which means millions more uh, businesses and corporations that, um, that can see and use medical records. And I'll give you some accounts of business associates. I'll, 
you know, here's a sample disclosure notice I'll read from. Legal services, accountants and auditors, insurance agents, insurance brokers, other insurers. Here's a good one. Consumer reporting agencies can get your medical records. Healthcare clearinghouses, data processing firms, transcription vendors, and other covered entities. Um, Virtually um, anyone that performs a service that's contracted out uh, by a covered entity uh, can see your your, uh, personal health information. And, uh, you know, one of the things, one of the most uh, striking examples of how <laughs> how dangerous it is for business associates to have our medical records. Uh, you might remember this case a few years ago from San Francisco where a Pakistani woman transcriber in Lahore, Pakistan, uh, made an extortion threat to the uh, U.S. Uh, uh, UCSF Medical Center at San Francisco saying, look, if you don't pay me for transcribing these patients' medical records, I'm going to post them on the Internet. And, of course, UCSF Medical Center was shocked to learn that thousands of patient records uh, for patients that had been treated in San Francisco were on hundreds of computers in Pakistan. Right, right. So, you know, I, you know, I don't know what you think, Mari, but I don't think most of us would consider having all of our personal medical and financial information about a hospitalization uh, would consider that a routine matter to you know to have our, our such sensitive information you know in a third world country exactly exactly especially for how how that information usually includes things like your social security number absolutely that that's part of the problem with these health IT bills medical records the nation's medical records are really the motherload of sensitive detailed information about each of us and so if if we give all of these corporations and businesses free access to our records, uh, it, it's it's going to be disastrous. It's going to be absolutely disastrous. I feel like we're we're something like the Mississippi River Levee Authority saying, "Hey, you know, if you don't build and engineer these levees correctly, you're going to have a disaster of immense proportions." Yeah, and nobody's listening. Just like they didn't listen. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, you know, we've part of the problem has been that the administration and um, virtually all of the media have reported on this issue as if privacy is protected. Um, and and what we found uh, when we went to Congress to educate Congress in the fall and and even now uh, in the new year is that. Members of Congress are just as uh, are just as unaware of their loss of privacy as members of the public. Most members of Congress staffs, I'd say eighty to ninety percent, had no knowledge that a government agency had stripped every American's right to decide who can see and use their medical records. Deborah, you know what we did to try and educate Congress and in our own California legislature as to the dangers of identity theft? Because, you know, I remember way back in 1996 where people didn't think much of it. Right. You, you almost have to really take one of these people and mm-hmm. and show them how their own stuff is being disclosed and shared. Because um, it, it's almost like when Teddy Kennedy... 
um, was on the no-fly list, remember? Mm-hmm. And that would right, get brought right. it up for, for TSA to get all this thing. I think you almost have to have some privacy invasions of some high-profile people for them to scream and yell and, and let them see what that's all about. Absolutely. Well, you know, we've actually sort of talked about that, but as a privacy protective organization, it's pretty hard for us to get our minds around trying to invade someone else's privacy. Well, not really um, but to we invade. Might have to. No, what what we did, for example, with uh, Diane Feinstein is we yeah. went online and we showed her how, just for a a, a few pennies, so to speak, we yeah. could get everything about her um, from a from a data broker, including yeah. her social security number, and that's how we got her to you know introduce like. <laughs> Legislation and the protection of the social security number. Uh huh. So, not that we would ever invade it, but show how yeah. others are it's, doing it's out it. There. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, I can see so many terrible things happening. But, but let me ask you something. You know, sure. under under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, for example, mm-hmm. with our credit reports, we can get our our credit report and we can see who has yeah. had access. Yeah. There's there's nothing in this bill to give us a central repository for us to see what's in there or to get um, access to see who accessed it, is no. there? No, that's exactly right. It, it's, it's, really, it's really awful because there is no requirement that any audit trails of all of these innumerable disclosures be kept. There's no requirement of that at all. And so unlike, you know, like you're saying with credit reports, you can't go in and find out who's Who's violated your privacy? I mean, you might you might find out in some way or other, but you can't track, you know, who made the release to which person that harmed you. And so, part of what we're asking Congress to do is to require audit trails of all disclosures. We need that information, just like California law is what led to uh, us finding out about the data breaches with exactly. Choice Point and Citibank. We we need to know about we need to have notification of all suspected or actual breaches of medical privacy, and we must have audit trails. Right. We must well, have audit trails. Well, I, I have to tell you, the, the, the bad news is that Congress is trying to water down that security breach bill at the federal level and preempt California law and also that. you know preclude us from private right of action. So there's, there's some real problems with regard to getting legislation passed at the federal level that really protects privacy and then oh, unfortunately absolutely. with with you know with medical privacy um, you know you've got HIPAA and you've got these federal laws that also preempt state law and also exactly. don't have a private right of action you know exactly exactly so it, it puts us in a, in a catch-22 so you know I think the whole issue is just to show them that, you know, these fair information practices is that we should know what they're collecting. Yeah. We should know. We should be able to see it. The The yeah. scary part, Deborah, is what about the errors in these databases? Oh, absolutely. Uh, that That's another thing. Um, the problem is when all this information is everywhere, you can't correct errors. Right. You can't correct errors. I mean, and... This happens a lot in the practice of medicine, may have even happened to you. You can get a test, and it's wrong. Right. I mean, the first thing a responsible physician does when they get a test result back and it shows something abnormal is take another test. But yeah. think about what a nightmare it is if you get a false positive test for cancer. Right. It can take months to disprove it, but it will stay in your record. And I guarantee you, 
the insurers and future employers are not likely to believe that it's a false positive because they're going to see. I mean, if, you know, if the test was wrong. Right. They're going to they're going to see that there's a test that's positive for something dangerous and and even if you laboriously and expensively prove that it's wrong, it's still going to be in your record because they're you know, this is not a proposal for a central database. It's a proposal for databases that have information about you in whatever place they're created to be able to share all of those records. There will be something like a key that can pull up all of the places where, you know, your records are in a region or even nationally and uh, pull all the pieces together for someone to look at. Um, so there's no there's no way to correct all of these you know who will even know how many copies there are to correct and in whose hands they're in so correcting errors is is going to be a complete nightmare because there is no there is no central repository of this information. Right, right. And and so these errors could be repeated and you not know about it. And I, I should give the example. When you were on, you and I were on the phone today, we were talking yeah. about, you know, the young woman physician who um, we talked to who was unable to get uh, health, um, life insurance and disability insurance for right. her young kids. Right. And the reason she was was because there was the um, Medical Information Bureau was disseminating information to insurance companies saying that she had, um, you know, HIV when in fact right. it was, a, you know, it, it was somebody made a mistake on encoding what she had, a, a urinary tract infection or something. It was just yeah. outrageous. But yeah. at least she could go to the Medical Information Bureau, and that is covered under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, so she had a right to get it. And by the way, you have a right right now under uh, under federal law to get once a year a copy of your medical information bureau information. But will the stuff be in there? Will that kind of serve as a as a central repository? Do you have any idea how that's well? Gonna it's hard interact? to know. It, it's a secret corporation. They pretty much you know won't disclose what information they have or the extent of information that they have on each of us. Uh, you you. Uh, you, I'm sure you know about this, and, but your audience may not. But it, it basically was a private company put together by the insurance industry to share information about potential purchasers of insurance, so that so that um, you know a new company uh, wouldn't give you a low rate for for insurance when you really had some kind of serious expensive disease. It's kind of like uh, Insurance insurers trade information about us. Uh, it's you know, like a credit to, bureau. It's like yeah, a credit in regard bureau. to homeowners' claims yeah. or any any other type of insurance. Right, so, right. but the problem is this is a very secretive corporation, and they keep uh, codes on you know every person in the U.S. and they don't disclose what the codes are. They don't disclose the extent of their information. We really don't even know what they have. Right. And and so it's it's. Uh, it's not as if it was uh, a database created for the benefit of the patient right. it's, or it's the for people the that are taking care of the patient. It's not that at all. 
Right. I just want to reintroduce you because if people are just starting to listen in, we've been speaking to this afternoon with um, Dr. Deborah Peel. She's a medical doctor, a psychiatrist in uh, Texas, and uh, she happens to be a very strong privacy advocate for medical privacy. She is the chair and founder of Patient Privacy Rights. And uh, when you stop driving or if you're at your computer, you can also go and look at uh, www.patientprivacyrights.org. So let's talk, and we're talking right now about the new federal federal legislation that's pending that will e even make, uh, you know, we already we are losing our, our privacy. Yeah, our privacy was lost in 2002. The problem is, is if now Congress builds uh, a national health system, essentially an electronic health system, and every American is compelled right now, compelled to have their records shared on that system, the the amount of harm and damage that will come from that, will, you know, will, will just be exponentially increased because so many more people will be able to see and use your information. And and the thing that 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 I think is really so important to explain is we're not even concerned right now about the hackers and the people that are interested in getting your your information for identity theft. That's not even where the worst harm is going to, going to come. The harm is going to come from not being able to get a job, get credit, get into a college, because so many businesses and so many employers will be able to see and use your medical records that will they'll literally, you know, be able to take away your livelihood. So, That's what's dangerous, is the legally authorized right. businesses and corporations that will be able to have access to your medical records via the the regional and national health information network. You know, and, and when you talk about having all of these various companies and their affiliates have access, um, you know, when when we do talk about identity theft, the, uh, the majority of identity theft really occurs with, you know, unscrupulous insiders. And look, yeah. and look at what access they're going to have knowing Absolutely. that the victim himself or herself won't even know about it. You know, oh, it's bad enough. It's so tempting. Yeah, it's very tempting, and I mean, it's bad enough when we've had the security breaches of hospital information, and, and we've had a lot of those, and we right. already have a lot of identity theft coming out of hospitals because people are laying there sick, and their information sure. is sitting there, or their wallet sitting there, or something's, you know, their their chart has everything on it. So, Absolutely. I mean, that already is scary. But I think one of the scariest parts for me is thinking about even without identity theft, is all of the errors that could go into a, you know, when somebody's in a hurry, you know, you're, you're dealing, nurses dealing with lots of different patients, uh, doctors busy getting interrupted, you know, errors occur, and then those errors are disseminated across the country. Absolutely. And, and that's what's really frightening to me, is thinking, you know, who, what are they going to do with it? Now, that's the other question is, under the law, I mean, when you say that they will have a right to uh, use the information, uh, well, uh, what do these businesses do with our private information? H how do they well, use it? Well, here's, here's the thing. They, they almost have no limits on what they can do with the information. It's limited only by their creativity and ingenuity because the information can be disclosed in in ways that we we have always traditionally expected and given our permission for. You know, uh, the first case is for treatment. You know, you might uh, tell me that it's okay for me to talk with your internist about the medicines that I put you on for anxiety. Okay, so 
you would agree to disclosures. Most people would agree to disclosures for treatment, um, you know, to, to facilitate treatment with other physicians or in other places. That's called for treatment. And then uh, most people will agree to disclosing medical records, at least some of their medical records, to the insurance company in order for payment to be made if they have a co- uh, you know if they're covered by insurance. But the the third category of use of our medical records is called healthcare operations, and it's never been legally defined. And it means virtually any kind of reason that a business can dream up of to use your medical records. Um, you know, for example, if uh, Aetna was to purchase Blue Cross Blue Shield uh, Insurance Company, they could, uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield could disclose to Aetna every covered life, you know, the medical records they had on every single person they insured to Blue Cross Blue Shield as part of the due diligence of, uh, you know, uh, looking at what, you know what kind of a uh, group of uh, uh, insured people they were going to be taking over the responsibility for, so they could disclose you know all of our records to another insurance company. Or I think the first complaint made to HHS for privacy violation was uh, listen to this one was by someone whose family member was in a hospice, and this particular hospice company was building developing software to sell to other hospices. And in their demonstration of the software, they used identifiable patient information. Oh, goodness. And so, you know, this family was very distraught to find that, you know, their relatives, you know, sensitive records about the end of their life, you know, was, you know, being used in the demo for a product to other hospices. Oh, goodness. (laughs) But that's considered a legal use of medical records under the current HIPAA privacy rule. And that's why we call it either an exposure rule or a disclosure rule. It is not a privacy rule. It's absolutely not a privacy rule. How can anything be private if over 600,000 companies and businesses and agencies can look at your records and share them with their millions of business associates? How can anything with so many people being able to look at it you know, be be po- possibly be called private. So, so give me uh, for that example that you just gave us yeah. with the with the family yeah. getting very upset. Yeah. So what they they complained. So how did they, how did who did they complain to? Well, there's a, there is a complaint process. That's another problem with this. Uh, you know, if you if you happen to think your privacy is violated, you can complain. You can whine to a government agency. That's essentially your only recourse. Okay, even though there are no audit trails of disclosures, you know, all of the disclosures of your medical records, still over 16,000 people have filed complaints with the Office of Civil Rights in the Department of Health and Human Services saying their privacy was violated. Over 16,000 since, since, I think it was 2002. Deborah, let me ask you something. Yeah. Have, have, have um, you guys used the Freedom of Information Act to try and get some of these complaints to see what these complaints are? As a matter of fact, we have, and we have not heard back yet. Um, some stories are leaking out about them, and, and HHS reports about them broadly. But here's, here's the thing, Mari. It turns out that because the privacy rule is really an exposure rule, and there are so many 
uh, legally, legal users of your health records, the vast majority of the complaints turn out uh, not to be violations of the privacy rule. Mm. And of these 16,000, uh, the Office of Civil Rights sent uh, you know, some small number over to the Department of Justice to see if, if, you know, if they should be prosecuted for a crime. And I think there's been one conviction, and guess what it was for? Your, your, oh, my favorite, identity your theft. Your cause, yeah, <laughs> yeah, identity theft. And I think that that one case actually was reversed later. But um, the point is, is the privacy rule is really an exposure rule, and it provides no penalties, virtually no penalties at all have been assessed since this rule went into effect. Right. I mean, people might have a way to, um, you know, to, I don't know, uh, file a lawsuit against someone under stronger state laws, um, but that can be, as you know, expensive and difficult. And that was the point of trying to have a, a process where the federal government would help with violations. Um, so and, have and, you, you know, getting back to the federal legislation, yeah. it's important to know, too, that the 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 leadership bill that's been proposed on the House side to set up a health information technology system also sets up a process to gut all stronger state laws, kind of like you're talking the about what the federal uh-huh. yeah what the federal government has done to California repeatedly when California's passed stronger financial privacy laws and right. so forth. Um, the the, you know, feds, the lobbyists yeah. for the financial institutions go to Congress and they wipe out stronger state laws and that's that you know the only that will that will wipe out the only protections that people have left in this country to uh protect their medical records from disclosure you know are state laws so it's it, you know even though they're very hard to use you know we still have those protections on the books in all 50 states but if congress has their way that will that too shall pass let me so just people re- should be very 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 worried about this yeah, let me just reintroduce you again. We're, sure. we're speaking today with uh, Dr. Deborah Peel. She is a physician, a psychiatrist, and she is uh, a privacy advocate for patient privacy rights. And you can go and learn more about her and all the great work that they're doing and, and trying to fight this scary stuff here at patientprivacyrights.org. And, you know, I had a question about how doctors, I mean, how about the American Medical Association are like, the California Medical Association and the Texas Medical Association, what stand are they taking and what are they trying to do? Anything? Um, in a word, nothing. On the, on the books and in their policies, they have very powerful statements about how physicians are supposed to protect patient privacy and get consent. But none of those organizations are working at the federal level to stop this bad legislation. Not yet. They're not. Um, you know, and we've why, approached why? them. Yeah, why, why are well, they? Well, here's the problem. Um, there's a lot happening in Congress. Uh, you know, there was so much uh, legislation about Medicare um, in the last session, in this session, that, uh, you know, basically we were told, look, you know, we've got our hands full. Congress is cutting, you know, payments to doctors, and um, that's our primary issue. And it's very very short-sighted, very short-sighted, because, you know, what people really forget is the only reason there is any information at all in the healthcare system is because people trust their doctors 
or they wouldn't tell them or let them, you know, or let them do tests or let them treat them or, or take prescribed medicines in the first place. People still trust their doctors and think that the Hippocratic Oath prevails and they still have privacy, but they don't. And so it's to me as a physician and, you know, a former member of AMA, you know, it's a travesty to me that the profession of medicine is not standing up to protect patients' most urgent needs because no one's going to trust their doctors. Right. When many people already know that, you know, are already fearful of disclosures and harm. Like I was telling you, my patients for 30 years have been very wary about anyone finding out that they're in treatment. But there's so many conditions that are sensitive or will be held against you. It's not just depression, which, by the way, is the second most common illness on earth. Right, But there's so many conditions, any condition that someone might have a fear would either cost money, you know, to the company or mean that you would have to miss work, you know, is going to be a condition that's going to affect whether you get a job in the future. And, And that's just wrong. It's just wrong because nobody is their diagnosis. We cannot predict, you know, who's the most qualified worker from what health problems they've had. Deborah, so, so for example, like, um, you know, like you said, you, you go to your doctor and you trust your doctor, whether it's your psychiatrist yeah. or yeah. whether it's your internist or, or whatever, okay? And now, sure. when they take notes in their yeah. office and, and you pay by cash, mm-hmm. you're not going to be protected like you used to be, right? Not necessarily. There are many ways that you wouldn't be. You really, really have to talk to your doctors about it. There was one woman that complained to us. Actually, she was from California uh, and treated at Stanford in a sleep clinic. And she saw a therapist there, and the therapist said, oh, I'm, you know, I'm keeping some notes, but they're paper re- notes. They will never go into your record. Well, the woman lied to her. The records were scanned. They went into her general medical record. The records were turned over to her employer. She lost her job, and she lost her disability insurance. And and mm. you know, you know, even it's here's the problem for physicians. Physicians are really caught in a trap. By law, we're required to keep more and more specific notes about every patient. Okay, um, and then if you use a third-party payer. You know, the payer can be very heavy-handed and say, well, Dr. Peel, uh, we don't agree with, uh, you know, your patient, uh, you know, the, the, you know, with, the, with, with the what you're charging yeah. or the treatment you gave this patient with right. depression. We demand to see the entire record. Right. See, because the payers, you know, hold the power and determine who gets paid, you know, what do you do? Uh, you know, in some cases, in, in many cases, I hope, uh, physicians and psychiatrists, you know, will be ethical. There's a colleague of mine, uh, Daniel Schrager, who stood up to Blue Cross Blue Shield, who, who demanded to see a full record of, you know, one of the patients that he was treating. He's in Pennsylvania. And he said, well, you know, I, I can't disclose that without the patient's permission. The patient said no. Right. So Blue Cross Blue Shield said, well, uh, that's great, Dr. Schrager. We're going to freeze all the money we owe you, and we're going to demand retroactive uh. repayment of, uh, you know, everything we've paid you for the last three years unless you turn over those records. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, right. see, the problem is, is if by law doctors are compelled to put more and more information into the records and then the third-party payers demand 
full and complete records as a condition of payment, you know, what's going to happen? In Schrager's case, he went to his patients and, you know, he fell on his sword. If they said, no, you can't disclose the records, um, he didn't. And some of them said, hell, I'm going to pay you for them myself. Don't don't disclose them. Right. Um, and he eventually won in court, but at great cost. Right, right. At great cost. And so, you know, if here's the thing, and here's why we're we're so insistent that the patient's right to control records be fixed at the federal level, because if the patient, if you, Mari, don't have the right to say no, Deborah, do not send that record out. If you don't have the right, I can't exercise that right on your behalf. I can't protect you right. if you don't have that right. 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 So that's why we're working so hard to you know, restore your right to control your records. And, you know, and people still, many, like I was saying, most people still think they have this right. They, they've they heard of the Hippocratic Oath. They know that's been the foundation of medicine for 2,400 years, and they're dumbfounded when they find out that a government agency just changed things, right. just like that. Well, what I'm fearful of is, you know, when you have all this data, yeah. There's going to, the data brokers are going to want to have this data, Absolutely. and they're going to want to sell it. Like, you know, sure. Choice Point, for example, is is a company that has data on all of us, and and yeah. they've bought up a lot of uh, healthcare industry, and in, including drug testing. You know, oh, my yeah. my my husband had to have a test to to be you know a captain's license. Mm-hmm. Okay, and what was you know, and he had to give a blood test, et cetera, and uh, sure. it comes back, and what does it say on it? Choice Point. So Choice Point, which is a data broker that has public records, that has Absolutely. background check, they now are also uh, data aggregators for medical information. And Absolutely. so, who you know, think it's about terrifying. these huge databases that when all of this information is available on, a dat- on various databases, you can be sure that the government, and, and not only government, but private industry is going to want to aggregate all of those. Oh, and sell them because it's it's absolutely. it's worth a lot of money. Oh no, there's no question. In fact, there are many business industries, in, you know, in healthcare that are that are built on that fact. In fact, that's the whole business plan of pharmacy benefits managers. Those are the intermediaries between um, your insurance plan and the pharmacy. And they noticed that they, you know, they would get, you know, when you go in and give your prescription to a pharmacist. It's entered into the computer, and the pharmacy benefits managers take all that information, what medicine you're prescribed, which doctor prescribed, and they saw this information flowing through their through their hands um, in order to determine, you know, of course, what the cost was that you would pay or what your copay was and so forth. Um, and they essentially stole that data. They appropriated all of that incredibly sensitive part of your medical record. I mean, I don't know what you think, but I think a prescription is part of your medical record. They appropriated the nation's prescriptions as corporate proprietary information, and they sell and trade it. You know, they'll let Lily know how many many of their uh, competitors' drugs are sold in a particular region, uh, that sort of thing. now, can they use it for marketing purposes too? To say, okay, you've they been still taking can. this. Yeah, you've been they taking these can. drugs. Yeah. You know, the, the problem is, you know, legalese in Washington has gotten so amazing. Most uh, uh, marketing was 
supposed to have been uh, forbidden in the privacy rule. But the problem is, is they redefined patient. They they redefined most kinds of marketing as patient education, meaning, oh, you might really want to hear about another cheaper drug for your allergies, or you might really want to know about, um, a, a, you know, a different type of, uh, I don't know, uh, diabetic medication, something right, like that. Right, but they, right. part of what they did was they essentially redefined marketing as patient education. Oh, goodness. Well, what about opting out? I mean, would a patient have a right under this system to even opt out? Like, you know, no. we were just talking about opting out. No. No, no that's that 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 is that is absolutely one of the worst parts of of this legislation. When this system is built, every single one of us will be compelled, compelled, forced to have our records shared across the system. There is no opt out. What about our real sensitive information? Would there be any segregation of no. sensitive information versus just you know I went in and I had a cold versus you know. I had some kind of uh, venereal disease. <laughs> no, no, and, and that, that's, that's, of course, another nightmare. Part of what we're proposing to Congress is, is everyone should have the right to segment any kind of information that they think is sensitive. Um, but that's not in any of this legislation. Under the HIPAA privacy rule, there's only one kind of information that can be segmented, and that's legally defined. It's called psychotherapy notes. But the problem is, like with the woman that I was telling you about in um, in Stanford, she essentially had psychotherapy notes, but once they are mixed into the general medical record, right. they're no longer protected. And mm. some systems, you know, the VA system, for example, is touted as, you know, healthcare system of the future. The VA system doesn't segregate psychotherapy notes. Everything's mixed into the VA system for everyone who has access to see it. It, it's a nightmare. So post-traumatic uh, stress disorder is going to be in there with somebody who had a um, you know, bullet wound or something. Everything. You can't imagine. In fact, there's a letter that, um, that we got from a doctor at a VA system, and he was very concerned about the kinds of sensitive things that he, he was reading in, in people's records that I read in front of a congressional briefing. And, and he talked about, uh, in one case, uh, a man who had a, a problem with his penis, and there was a in the medical record there were notes about a device inserted in it, and a, no, a nurse timing, you know, uh, how long it took for him to have an erection and the size of the erection. And this doctor was certain that this man would never want to want the world to know about that. And, Absolutely. You know, there was another case that he talked about a patient who had been depressed and suicidal, but was treated in the VA system and went in to get a shoulder x-ray uh, for bursitis. And the x-ray tech asked, asked the man um, if he was still suicidal. And, and, the, and the patient was furious. He fired the psychiatrist and left the system. And, you know, people just have no idea how much information is open to how many in these systems. And it's, you know, in, in these cases, it's it's maybe um, embarrassing or humiliating or enough to end treatment. Right. Um, so, it, you know... So people won't get the health care. Yeah, I mean, pe- people basically won't get the health care that they exactly need. That's exactly what happens. People will avoid care. They will omit critical details. They will um, lie. They will do whatever they can to protect themselves in systems where they know treatment isn't just for them. Getting care is is not simply um, for their benefit. 
Deborah, we have about five minutes left. Could you talk about what you would, well, my husband says four minutes left. Okay. <laughs> Could you tell us some things that you'd like to see in this bill, some things Absolutely. that you'd like to see changed? And, yeah. and then kind of tell us what Absolutely. we can do to help support you. Sure, sure. The principles are very, very simple. Um, these are the kind of safeguards we need to ensure the privacy of medical records in any electronic network. The first thing is, of course, patients must have the ability to, to decide who can see and use their personal health information. Uh, secondly, patients should be able to opt in and opt out of health inf information networks at any time. We should be able to segregate our most sensitive medical records. There must be audit trails of every disclosure, and patients should be notified of all suspected and actual privacy and security breaches. We must deny employers access at all times to employ medical records. Uh, on the other hand, we are, we are, we are pro-IT if these privacy protections are, are in place because we could have incredible access to improved care through research on de-identified medical records, de-identified. Um, and we think unless we have a very strong national standard that all stronger state laws protecting medical privacy should prevail. And we think we need criminal penalties for use or possession of medical records without permission. We think that people should have some ways to address the harm that's done to them when their records are used against them. And, and a way to correct erroneous records, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And, and I'd the, like way, to... the way your audience can help is, you know, we have a petition it right. says, I want my medical privacy, and it's at www.patientprivacyrights.org slash petition. We'll also have, there's also information on our website about all this legislation, and, uh, and absolutely contact your senators and contact your representative to the U.S. House and tell them, you know, you don't want health IT unless you have the right to control who can see and use your records. Exactly. So, so I just wanted to um, ask you: What is it? Do you think it's worthwhile to even talk to your doctors about this? Absolutely, absolutely. You can you can ask your doctors not to disclose any of your records without your permission. You can ask them. We have we actually have a form on our website for that as well. Okay. Some doctors in some small practices might agree with you. I think you may be. You may be up the creek, for example, if you're part of the Kaiser system or right, a large Right, HMO, system. yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're very unlikely to grant your request for restrictions. But if you're seeing small, you know, solo practitioners, uh, they might be willing to, you know, to protect you. And, yeah. and, you know, and that's important to seek and ask if they really will, if they really will uphold your rights under state law and stronger medical ethics like right. they should. Right. So we want you to uh, make sure that you go to patientprivacyrights.org, and then you can pull up these petitions and these sample letters, and it'll save you a lot of time, and then send these petitions to your congressmen, to your senators, even to your state senators, and tell them that you want them to Absolute. do something as well. We've Absolutely. Been, we've state been... networks are being built right now, and they have all of the flaws that the national networks you know, will preserve. Well, thank you so much, Deborah. We've been speaking to Deborah Peel. She's a medical doctor, a psychiatrist, and chair and founder of the Patient Privacy Rights 
a national consumer medical privacy watchdog organization. And if you're worried about your privacy rights with regard to health care, you better go to that website and tell them um, what you want to do everything you can to help to get your privacy back before this legislation passed. So thank you, Deborah, and we will talk to you again soon. Thank you, Mari. I'd be glad to give you updates. This All right. Is, this well, is going to be happening so fast. I know. Thank you so much. And You're uh, very welcome. Now, you've been listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org online. And you can listen to Privacy Piracy every week from 5 to 6 p.m. right here at KUCI. And also, if you go to KUCI.org forward slash Privacy Piracy, you can see our previous guests and click on their interviews and listen to their interviews and see our future guests so you can make sure that you don't miss our show. Additionally, we are podcasting now, so we are uh, X generation, I guess, so to speak. And we want to thank you for listening, and thank you, Lloyd, for being our great engineer. See you next week at 5 o'clock. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.